Heavenly Father, I would pray and invite the Holy Spirit to attend this podcast and that the message contained therein about family search and the Lord leading those who are taking care of the young will pierce the hearts of those who listen, that they will understand that he is the great source. Jesus Christ is the source of our rest and our comfort, and that he is leading the young parents of the world, especially those who humble themselves and look to God for the answers to their daily struggles. I would pray for spirit might attend, that those who hear will be filled with peace and love, that this love will spread in their lives, and that those who are honestly seeking for the truth will find whatever the answer they need for their individual life and their individual problems. We are so grateful for thy mighty word that's contained in the book of Isaiah. And I would pray, Father, that those who hear this scripture right now from Isaiah 40, who perhaps have never heard it before, that the message that it contains will comfort and bring peace. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A reading from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 9 through 11. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young.
gently lead those and are with you, and gently lead those and gently It's the Denny Hatch Show, and welcome, Akeem. Oh, William's here, too. Wonderful. Uh, I just shared with you, he shall feed his flock. 
from the Messiah, which is the song today. That was me singing along to a wonderful track that I put in the links on the call-in page so that if you would like to hear that version of He Shall Feed His Flock, you can find the actual singers. There's about a hundred versions of it on YouTube. And this one's my favorite because I don't think that the gals performing it are over singing it. I sometimes think this song is think this song is really oversung. And so I think that's a nice version. It's my favorite version of it that's on the internet. I don't have a symphony orchestra here at my apartment. So when I share some of my favorite music, it will be me singing along to a track from the internet that's fully orchestrated, just so you can hear the glory of it sung fully orchestrated. Sometimes I plan to sing a cappella without any accompaniment at all. But it is nice to be able to share my favorite music, even though I know it's choppy coming through Colin with the, the voice uh, limitations through the technology. There's lots of uh, gaffes as the music is translated up to the satellite and down to your device. I still feel like it's important to share these songs though as the opener to my show because they do invite the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing like music to set a tone and get a feeling going for what's happening, at least in my heart and what I want to share with, with this podcast. So welcome, welcome. Today the topic is family search. And if you know anything about my people, the Mormons, the Latter-day Saints, the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we are really into our ancestors. And we've spent lots of time, money, and effort setting up genealogical databases. And if you look in the show notes on the call-in page and in the links, you will see a link to the Family Search website. And this website is available to anyone. And I'd encourage you right now, go ahead, click over to familysearch.org and just start clicking around because I think you might be surprised to find your own name, your own family in this database. And it is a wonderful tool to help you learn more about your own ancestors. Most people are well acquainted with their parents and their grandparents. But when you get into the next level of great grandparents and then beyond that, there are very few people who actually have studied their histories to find out where did I come from? What were these people like? What were their professions? Where, where did they come from? Especially if you're in America, unless if you're Native American, you came from somewhere else. And so it's so great to be able to go find your roots. When Alex Haley wrote his epic novel back in the day, it really set the world on fire about finding out where they came from. And for me, reading his book back in the day, it was a spiritual experience as he shared this odyssey. And then we watched the, the television miniseries, which I think back in the day, it was one of the most watched movies ever. And it set up a new model of storytelling with this night after night uh, television show that was, I think it was over a one week span and, you know, Here's this book made into a movie, one of the best movies. So what's genealogy all about for Mormons? 
the bottom line is we believe all of the family of Heavenly Father from Adam and Eve to today deserve to have the option to become faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And we recognize that at certain periods during the earth's history, the gospel was not being preached. And so people did not have the opportunity to search it out for themselves, get baptized, enter into a covenant relationship with Heavenly Father, with Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so we feel so passionate about this that we want everyone who's been born on this earth to have an opportunity to become Christians. And so the work that happens in our temples and honestly, the work that happens around our missionaries is all devoted to this cause of enabling both those who are living and our kindred dead to have the opportunity to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ and then determine if they want to join. And so that's, that's what Family Search is about. And recently, my husband and I were both called to become Family Search consultants. And what this means is that anyone, you don't have to be a member of the church, but anyone who wants to have some tutoring on Zoom can contact us. You can contact me privately through call-in or through email and ask for a one-on-one -on -one Zoom session with me or my husband, Paul, and we will be happy to spend an hour with you teaching you how to use Family Search. That's our new job in the church. We're not being paid for this work. It's all service. But we are so passionate about helping other people explore their family and their family lines that we want to offer this to you. And so, um, like I said, you can contact me through direct messaging on Colin, or you can email me. My email is tied to my Substack. You can go ahead and contact me through that. Or you can text me. I'm, I'm not afraid of putting my phone out there. It's at various places on the internet anyway. And if you call me in good faith and want to set up a Zoom session, I'm not afraid to put my phone number out there. So it's 435-592-3884. If you want to just call me or text and set up a Zoom session, I would love to work with you to help you discover your ancestors. Only for an hour. You can only have one session for an hour, but it's really from my heart to offer this to anyone who's interested because I feel so passionate about genealogy and discovering where we came from because it helps so much in your life when you realize, oh my gosh, my great-grandmother, as she gave birth to her 14 children in a Michigan farmhouse, she felt so passionate about allowing her babies to come that she never used birth control. That was something she just, that was her, the, the root and the rock of her life was to live this faithful walk with Jesus Christ. I am going to live normally and naturally and just let the children come. And boy, did they show up in, in that farmhouse. Reading her stories, there's not many of them, but reading her stories gave me so much strength. And then her line, goes all the way back to the 1600s where my family showed up as pilgrims searching for religious freedom back in colonial days and they lived in Portsmouth, Rhode Island for several hundred years. And I think if you were to go to the Portsmouth Cemetery, even right now, you would find the name Trip, which is my maiden name, T-R-I-P-P, -P. you would find gravestones 
that were tied to my ancestors in that graveyard because they were there for so long. And it's exciting to me to think of the lives that they lived and what were their goals and what were they trying to accomplish. They, some of them moved from Portsmouth up to Canada and lived there for a while and then immigrated over to northern Michigan. And my family comes from uh, Mackinac Island. My mother was born in Sault Ste. Marie. Her mother lived there for a time. That's where my maternal grandparents met and where they lived at the beginning of their marriage. And then on my dad's side, his family came down into central Michigan, worked as farmers. And then with my great grandmother, she and her husband moved down to the city in Detroit to work the jobs that were available there at the turn of the century. My great grandfather worked on the railroad. My grandmother was born in Detroit. My dad was born in Detroit. I'm third generation Detroiter. So I think of myself as a Michigander. And how do I know these stories? How do I know this history? Because of family search and because of the genealogy that several members of my family have done over the years. I have passionate genealogists in my family who've sought out our, our history. And I've, again, I've gained so much strength from reading these stories. And I think the most important stories, I'm a, I'm a storyteller, I'm an actor, I'm a writer, I love stories. The most important stories are the ones tied to your own family. And when you go find out what your family's stories are, that, that exercise is so powerful for solidifying your space in the universe that I just cannot recommend it highly enough. As you find your family, you discover yourself. And that's the title of today's show. And I shared the song from Isaiah because our ancestors also had their difficult times. They lived through wars and oppressions and political and religious bigotry. And some of them fled their home countries looking for freedom, looking for religious freedom, trying to find a better life for themselves and for their kids. And some of them found it and some of them died in despair. My Italian grandfather, my mother's um, father's parents, came over from Italy and landed in Chicago and struggled during the height of the Industrial Revolution, didn't speak the language, struggled as Italian immigrants. My great-grandfather killed the town bully in the little hamlet of Chicago where they were, ended up in prison. The family broke up. My grandfather, at the age of 12, lived on the streets, hardly spoke English, was alone. His other siblings went to family members, but he, he didn't want to do that. He just wanted to set out in his own path. So as a 12-year-old, my grandfather started his adult life. A friend told him that he should change his name from Lino Lacana, an Italian name, to Charles Arthur Drake and present himself as an English-speaking American and not tell anyone of his Italian heritage because otherwise he wouldn't be able to find a job. So Lino became Charlie, my grandfather, and he lived this life as Charles Arthur Drake. <laughs> I love the, the audacity of it. It just cracks me up thinking about my grandpa doing that. But he did. He cut with his past and lived a new life. He didn't even tell his kids that he had this Italian heritage. 
my uncle told me that when he was a teenager, he'd do something wrong. And my grandpa would look at him and say, what's the matter with you? You know, and give him this Italian harangue. And he's like, what are you doing, dad? You know, he didn't get the, the Italian side, but my grandfather had an affinity for making his own chicken raviolis. We used to love when he would come over to our house on the holidays and make this homemade pasta and nobody ever put it together. Where did he learn how to make chicken raviolis and homemade pasta? And then there came a day when he told us the truth and it was so exciting and so wonderful to learn about that side of the family. We all thought we were, you know, Western European British Isles heritage. No, there was an Italian component. And sometimes my Italian self shows up on the scene uh, in certain behaviors and attitudes. And so it's fun. It's so fun to discover these patterns and these traditions in your own personality and the personality of your loved ones and your kids. So I challenge everyone here to go search out your, your loved ones, your family. And I would love to invite anybody who's in the sh here listening to share one of your stories. Have you looked for your family history? Have you looked for your, your stories in your past? Does anyone want to come up and share? I love that you're here, William and Hakeem and Greg. I don't know much about you, but um, it would be wonderful to hear your stories if you want to join in the conversation. William, welcome. Hey, Jenny. Um, sorry, I missed your opening songs. The, the app just wouldn't function for a little bit. I finally got the, the show to come up after you originally sang. So I'll go back and listen to the... You record that, right, initially? I'm sure you do. So no, I sing, it, I sing it live right into my phone and uh, hope for the best. There are. Well, what I mean is when I want to go back and listen to your show, it'll be there. You know oh, it I mean? should. Yeah, yeah, it recorded yeah. just fine yesterday. And um, I'm planning to do this little devotional before I start each show with a prayer and a scripture and a song just to kind of set the mood. But for anyone who's listening who's not really into the spiritual stuff, if you show up at about 10 o'clock, that will just be me doing the podcast. You won't have to listen if, the, if you're not into that. But for those who want to hear that, show up at 9.55 because I plan to do that every time. So do you have any cool stories, William? Well, uh, a couple of things. Uh, we used to have huge family gatherings uh, because my, um, on my, uh, let me think for a second. On my father's side, my, my, my grandmother had, uh, let me think, 11 brothers and sisters, you know, big Italian family, you know, um, and there was a reunion, only one that I attended where people were wearing name tags. If you can imagine the generations, you know what I mean? That came from that many brothers and sisters that um, we didn't know a lot, of, you know, uh, people were so busy in their individual lives and, and, and certain holiday gatherings would be, you know, 20 or odd people. But, uh, there was hundred plus people at this big gathering that um, 
that happened. And it was nice to meet everybody. And, 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 uh, but, um, uh, the the traditional uh christmas and uh uh christmas eve gatherings were at my grandma's house and uh putting together like four or five tables in a row and a did a big open uh dining area that skewed and spread out into the living room so we could do that and so big family gatherings a lot of camaraderie uh that was nice but unfortunately uh and i don't want to uh uh uh, ruin the show or anything but when issues came up like we discussed yesterday that caused a lot of division do you follow me once i started speaking you know what i mean well and uh, part of seeking out the stories is having an honest and truthful heart about family pattern problems and you know i've i've looked throughout our history of you know, I, I think there's a history of incest with certain members of my family. And so I've looked to see if there was any evidence that I could see here and there. And there is. And so that also has solidified my own beliefs about myself, about what really happened. But we don't have to just focus on the negative. You know, it's so wrong to think that that's all that our stories are. We can remember the good times, too. And that's the place I'm getting to in my healing as I've reconciled so much of my past is that part of the story is the good stuff too. And we can recognize the strengths and the um, habits and patterns that my parents taught me to love music. You know, what a blessing, what a blessing. So share more, William, where, where did you grow up? I grew up in, um, just outside Bridgeport, Connecticut, a little town called Trumbull. And, uh, but I went uh, to um, Trumbull school system as a child, but then um, there's a, there was a Votech high school in Bridgeport that I attended, Bullet Havens. And my father opened a bicycle shop in Bridgeport where I was 10. So I, <laughs> I was there most of the time. So for and a large what generation, of- What generation American are you? Um, well, Grandpa Sansone, uh on my mother's side, uh, I think was born in Italy. Um, let me think. On my grandma's side, it was my grandmother's mother, so my great-grandmother who was born in Italy. Uh, uh, I think, not mistaken, my grandpa's uh, Sansone uh, 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 wife, uh, Nana Sansone, was... Uh, there was a lineage from Germany somewhere in that I was told. I never mm, explored that per se. So, did, did uh, they ever tell you why they wanted to come to America? You know, um, my grandpa Sansone was—he was a funny character. You know, I have fond memories. Do you remember? Uh, there's a scene in The Godfather where. Uh, 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 the old fella is in the gar- in a garden before he has a heart attack, and he's tending the garden. He's got suspenders and high waist pants, and he's walking through with a stogie. And that is a young little boy, Michael Corleone, is with him. And so the, the Godfather has a heart attack in the gar- in his garden. Which, well, my grandpa Sansone grew a garden just like that. I'll tell you what, it was like a spitting image. I couldn't believe it when I saw the movie because he wore the suspenders, had the high waist pants, had the stogie in his mouth. 
and he used to drink, uh, I think I'm trying to remember, typical American uh, lager that he he would switch between Schaefer and Schlitz or whatever, one of those. And uh, so I, as a little boy, would help him in the garden, pick the tomatoes. He believed in breaking off the suckers, you know, with the tomato plant uh, branch splits. You might have sometimes a little one growing. He taught me how to do that. And when grandma wasn't looking, he hand me the can of beer and say, here, I have some of this. So I had a good rapport with my <laughs> grandpa Sansone. But he, he didn't talk uh, much about the past. Uh, he was very much in the moment. And uh, I'm just triggering memories. I just said the funniest thing was he had a dog, Bucky. And he, when it was hot, we'd go sit in the basement. And they had, like, launcher set up in the basement near the refrigerator. And he tied a, a uh, towel to the refrigerator door handle. And he taught his dog to get him a beer. He'd have oh, him, go get me a beer. <laughs> the dog would <laughs> open the door, grab the beer, <laughs> bring it over. He goes, okay, go close the door. The dog went over and closed the door with his nose. He even taught him to pick up the phone. He'd say, Bucky, give me the phone. Because he said, you know, he just did, used to amuse me, I think, two tricks with Bucky. But, but, but Bucky helped us. If he was away from the phone, the phone was ringing. He'd say, Bucky, bring me the phone. He had a long extension on it, you know, on the hand receiver uh, cord. And uh, my grandmother used to work for the phone company. So, and Bucky would pick up the phone, bring him the phone. It was amazing. I never saw anything like it. That's so, hilarious. Um, yeah. So the fond memories, you, you know, there's, there are good things. Uh, but one thing I, you said that I wanted to, uh, uh, also it's important um, because it's, it's for people like you and I who've had incest uh, issues, incest in the family. Yes, I did get that validated from my sister's. And uh, I don't want to. That's more than I've gotten. My my siblings are in absolute denial about my dad. They circled the wagons and just said, Jenny's crazy. And it's been heartbreaking to not have that corroborating support. But I have I have crossed paths with another victim of my dad who has confirmed that they were also abused. And so that one person has just kind of been the, the bulwark for years. I was alone in my memories. My dad was a very prominent businessman in the Detroit area. People mm -hmm. said things like he was the most honest uh, insurance agent, state farm insurance agent they'd ever met. And so, you know, it was like, he just, you know, bulletproof almost. And um, sometimes those are the very people who have the darkest secrets. When they well, present I themselves, wanna, when they they present themselves as you know perfected, and sometimes those are the ones who are the the worst. Well, I want to validate a couple of things. One, let me tell you, um, it, it was uh, my sisters didn't want to. Uh, they acknowledged when I talked to them, but they couldn't talk about it. They didn't so want to acknowledge it publicly. Yeah. No, 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 no. Between in person, I'm just talking about when I had conversations and there was a brief acknowledgement that what I was saying was true and happened to them, but they wouldn't talk more about it. Do you follow me? And in fact, they pushed me away because I wanted to talk more about it. Do yeah, you follow me? I do. And so, so that became kind of like, eh, you know, then I, I think, Whatever they couldn't cope or didn't want to deal with, I of course wanted to talk more about, and 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 so I felt like I was being punished. 
you follow me and pushed away. And to this day, we don't have communication. Yeah, you I don't have me. any communication with any of my siblings either. And, and, and what, I've, okay. what I've heard from my kids is, because it's been a part of many conversations with my children who are in their late 20s and 30s now, mostly, uh, is they don't want me talking about it around their children. And right. I've agreed, you know, I'm not going to talk about it around the grandchildren, but because it's a family pattern issue, you know, I have cautioned my kids and tried to teach them the facts. And, you know, this is on you. This is on you to be a chain breaker and also protect your kids from the, the dangerous people in their midst. And so, you know, that's also something that's really important that young parents be aware. Uh, look for the signs of people who want to groom your kids. And uh, because it's so entrenched, I think right now in the public school system, this grooming thing, um, it kind of feels like it's everywhere. And I was really glad when my church got rid of the Boy Scout program. I don't know if you heard about that a couple of years ago. Yeah. They, just, they just dumped it. And yeah. they had been a huge component in the various um, troops all over the world. And I really think the abuse issue was a big reason for them choosing to do that because it was becoming so entrenched that these little boys would go off in the, the woods with their club masters. And, you know, we have all these kids getting molested. So I was glad they cut that out because I just felt like they were constant. I have two sons who are Eagle Scouts and my husband's an Eagle Scout and they love their camp memories. They love doing scouting, but they were they were gone so much just constantly going on these weekend trips and big jamborees. And it was like, it was too much, you know, it was just too much. Well, I think what I want to add to that is, you know, uh, I've heard statistics that I think um, the sexual violence Alliance has put together that one third of women and one sixth of men have been abused by the time they reached their twenties, not always incest, but it could be, you know, date rape or, you know, something like that. Yeah, I and, believe those numbers. Yeah, the, the, there's even a site, one-sixth of men, as I recall, when I used to research. And if you consider, just briefly, we have 330 million people, I think, in this country, and 240 million are adults. So if we think about the numbers, so let's say half are women, just demographically, maybe. So 120 million women, and one-third have been abused. Think of the numbers. I mean, it's, I have that, that's 40, what, 30, 40 million people. And then one sixth of men. So what I, what is, it's, it's unfortunate that it's so taboo because there's so much taboo around it and shame, let's say, which it really shouldn't be. The victims really have nothing to be ashamed of at all. We were groomed. We were the ones, we're the victims, you know, but if just, Think in those numbers. One, th so, so, so. Technically, I mean, I don't know if you went to a party or walked into a conference room. Statistically, one third of the women there have this issue on some level, and one sixth of the men. And yet, we're all keeping this deep secret. Do you follow me? And it's not like something you want to talk about at a party. But yet, even when I used to be involved in support groups, um, in when I was in San Diego County or even in New England. There was, um, I was told it was, it was, it was unfortunate because when I was in uh, Escondido, San Diego County, there was a, 
like a sexual violence alliance group I went to, and I had a counselor, and they had a group meeting they would have, but I wasn't allowed because me being a man, they the the counselors were concerned that just my mere presence would trigger the women there. And I yeah, said, that's, and that, I've heard of that in certain groups. Yeah, and that really felt like another wound for me. I was like, hey, I'm one of them. I mean, I'm one of the victims. I'm not a perp, you know, So, and I wasn't welcome. And yeah, she and said, not so. enough support. There's not enough support for male survivors. No question. Hey, I want to share with you a little story. Yeah. Um, I have had two times when I have had ancestors and one of my own kids reach to me from from heaven. And the first time came with my paternal grandfather, who my dad told me he was he was a child molester. Everybody knew it. Uh, he had been oh arrested for it. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry. Wow. Yeah. So when I was starting to remember and this I was triggered by my brother's he died of a drug overdose. And around around his funeral, I started to remember because I I had no memory of what happened to me until just like 21 years ago. But as I started to remember and I started yelling as soon as I I started to remember, I started making accusations. I sent a big Mm -hmm. group email to the whole family and started outing some of the pedophiles in our family. Mm. And the the blowback was immediate. I was threatened with a lawsuit and oh my God. told to shut up. Everybody was told to delete my email, erase it from the hard drives of your computer. I mean, it was intense. And I backed down because I was scared. But around this time, I had a visitation from my grandfather, who was the pedophile. And he, I didn't see him or anything. I just felt his presence. Mm. And what he communicated to me is that there were hundreds of people on the other side of the veil who knew exactly what was going on Hmm. and were watching and would do everything they could to help me, but that this would be one of the most difficult trying experiences of my life, Hmm. trying to expose and root out this pedophilia in my own family. Hmm. But, you know, he encouraged me and then he was gone. It was like five minutes, maybe. But it was such an interesting experience to have that, you know, this person was given a task to come communicate with me, someone who had been an alcoholic, a raging alcoholic. Why him? You know, why was he allowed when he was such a dirtbag? And it's like, well, why not? He's the grandfather. He's the one who, you know, suffered from this too, wanted to have a happy life. It was a mess. His whole life was just a big mess. And he died lonely and sad. And alone, my grandmother had divorced him. Mm -hmm. And so it was such a spiritual experience to just think about all of those people who were fully aware of the truth. And me starting out on this long, lonely journey that has been so heinous at times, I wanted to kill myself. And Mm -hmm. yet that just kind of vision of all of them up there going, you can do it, you can do it has really carried the day. And the second person who came to see me was about a year after I started outing the pedophiles. I was really suicidal one day, you know, just struggling. And I had another visit and it was from a little boy and I felt his spirit again, didn't see him, just felt him. 
And he said, you can't kill yourself because I want you to be my mother. Mm. And I was like, dude, I, I don't, I don't think I can do that. I was such a mess. I'd been in a mental hospital again for a few days. I was mm. struggling. I was going to therapy. It was really bad, but I had this thought, well, if there's somebody out there in the vastness of the universe who wants me to be his mother, you know, maybe I'm not as sick or diseased or, you know, disabled as I think. And it was just a few short months after that, that we unexpectedly conceived this little boy. And for 20 years, my son, Ben, has been the catalyst for me healing. He would turn two and I'd start to remember all the stuff that happened to me when I was two. He'd turn mm-hmm. five and here's this flood of memories. And as he hit certain milestones, and I've heard this from so many survivors, that it was caring for their own children that they really reconciled and healed the abuse because they recognized how young they were and innocent and little when all this stuff happened to me. And oh my gosh. And then... I, Paul and I, my husband, we were so ferociously protective of of this child. At that point in our marriage, it was like, nobody is messing with this kid. And so we we put in place all of these fail-safes of like, this this child will be protected. And that was powerful, you know, that we were able to protect him more than we had protected our older kids when we were a little bit more clueless. You know, I didn't let my kids go to slumber parties, but I, I, I wasn't as aware and conscious as I was as an older mom. And so I hope that, you know, again, my, as my grandchildren come, that my kids are self-aware enough and they have talked about these things that, you know, they are just going to be so protective and not leave their kids with anyone um, that it's really done, you know, a lot of healing in my heart to say, we can change. Okay. We've got these family patterns, but we can choose to change. And these two visitations, whatever you want to call them, spiritual experiences with my grandfather and my son kind of carried the day. And it fits into the family search topic because I believe everyone has people on the other side waiting to be born and those who have already passed away who are very, very interested in them and the choices they make and the life they choose to live. And in seeking out our kindred dead, we can be strengthened and fortified as we live out our mortality. Well, you said a lot there. I that, that triggered a lot of feelings and thoughts. Um, first, uh, I, I think just being open and 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 other people have these wounds. Uh, can hear our voice and maybe they can realize they're not alone and they even though they may be alienated from family members when they tried to speak sometimes there's spiritual family out there you know where you can someone who may hear our voices it may help heal them do you follow me and so for us for you and when i was on the monastery well i forgot to tell you i lived on and off a monastery for the better part of four years and total of 10, it was self-realization fellowship in Escondido. How old were you? uh, Well, I was there, let me think, uh, from, 
when did I move on to the monastery? I was I got divorced ninety nine. It was like two thousand through two thousand early two thousand four. I was on the monastery, and then I left that area in two thousand ten. So I, when I uh, uh, I had a breakup with a woman I was engaged to, I went back to the monastery. Um, I had a great experience there. Let me just say, uh, had a great mentor, Brother Bimonanda. We would never call one another father because the Gospels, Matthew 23, Jesus tells us not to do that. You know, call no man on this earth your good father. Doesn't mean uh, uh, paternal. You know what I mean? Good father, teacher, or rabbi. And so we call one another brother. And... Uh, it was a monastery of world religions. I met people from all over the world um, who had traveled in. You could stay there uh, in a residence program, extend it or visit for a week. And as long as you volunteered, because it was a hundred acre property and part of it was a working farm with greenhouses, um, you were welcome. And so meeting people from all over the world, from East India, um, Germany, um, everywhere I'm at, you know, um, most spoke English because they knew, I, you know, they came to America to stay and visit. And then there were those who were in the monks training programs. And then there were the senior monks and the retired monks. And I, I just had a funny thought. I just, they, they had a, a building that had a sh just mm -hmm. one story with a string of rooms and the retired monks would stay there and they jokingly would call that death row. <laughs> That's <my> whole <laughs> monk and they were integrated with us. You know, they came and, you know, sat and ate with us. And, and one thing, I mean, I know, see, I like the saying in the gospel, no king nor slave, nor Jew nor Gentile, nor male nor female. We're all one in Christ's sacred heart. And I, I, the way I try and, and, and see the world and I know there's a lot of Christians and Catholics who disagree with me. And I, you know, I hear that. But, I, but meeting those people from all over the world, from see, Self-Realization Fellowship, all religions are welcome. It's not a religion. It's just a place to come from all different backgrounds, religion, and practice things, meditation. You can meditate on the rosary if you wanted to, whatever meditation you wanted to use. You know so what I mean? sound, it sounds like it was built as a Catholic monastery and then evolved to something else. Well, the fellow who brought it over was Paramahansa Yogananda from India, originally called the East West. He was trying to bring world the world together and world religions together. So we called the East West. And one thing I try to stay open about, Jenny, is, you know, there's a lot of people when you think about today, we have the Internet, you know, we have TV and radio. But back in the day, you know, someone could grow up in Tibet and be totally isolated. And the only religion they would know as a child, unless some missionary came in, would be, you know, what they learned and their culture. On the other hand, sometimes these missionaries came in. And even today, with you talk about the Boy Scouts. How about the United Nations uh, peacekeeping uh, missionaries that are outreach where they had a huge scandal with that where yeah, it's like pedophile ink oh so now imagine just let's be objective right say you're i don't know in tibet somewhere or some 
uh, uh, indigenous tribe somewhere. And these people come in and some of them, oh my gosh, Fairfield University had an outreach with Haiti. And there was a lawsuit settled Fairfield University here, right near where I am in Fairfield County. And this is a Catholic you know, university, Fairfield Prep. They had an outreach with, ha with, with Haiti. And it turns out a lawsuit was settled not long ago where they put, well, the lawsuit settled for, Jenny, I'm trying to remember, somewhere over $60 million to go into escrow because there was, they didn't even know how many victims there were. You follow me? They estimated over a hundred at that point, but they put a lot of money into well, the lawsuit settlement was for money into escrow as more victims might come forward. And coincidentally, my my landlord is Haitian, and his mother's mother is very Catholic, and yet he's like, oh my, and he works. Oh my God, he works for the Knights of Columbus. He says like, and he knows. Oh my goodness, Jenny, I, there's so what I'm saying is, okay, let me just finish this thought and I'll move on. Church militant is Michael Voris, and he's trying to clean up the church, him and his reporters, church militant. You can find his YouTube videos, okay? And the Catholic church in particular. And so kind of like the Boston Globe, you, you mentioned the movie Spotlight. He's kind of like that, where he's an a, a investigative reporter, him and his team. And... Bridgeport, where I live, he did a whole expose. The Bridgeport Diocese paid, and this involves family. People might say, well, where are you off on this tangent, Bill? Catholic families send their kids to Catholic schools. It's the Catholic boys who get abused by the Catholic priests. It's not the, well, it does happen in an outreach. I just have to correct myself. But for the most part, it's the Catholic boys that are within reach of the Catholic priests or, you know, whatever religion you're directly involved in. And these generational families, uh, they, 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 it was so sad in the Boston Globe story, for example, where there are even police officers who are Irish and Italian who thought their sons were lying to them because they couldn't believe the priest could do such a thing. Yeah. And so then there's this whole repression, suppression and oppression that happens. And so getting back to Michael Voris and I'll, this tangent, I'll tie in and wrap it up. So the Bridgeport Diocese paid it, Pullman and Comey because of the big scandal recently. I'm talking within the last couple of years to do a whole thing on the Bridgeport Diocese, right? And so they did. He did Pullman and Comey, former Judge Holtzberg, put out a report. He found criminal activity by Bishops Ian Sheen and Curtis for covering up for a priest. They cited some 71 priests that were abusing kids from 1950, basically to the year 2000. And then the Holtzberg report Unfortunately, it turned out to be kind of like the Epstein deal where it covered up for all the living because there's a lot of living, if not a perps, accessories and accomplices in an organization. Do you follow me? And so, so Michael Voris picked it up from there. And what he talked about, and you can find this video online if one were interested, the Bridgeport Diocese, Bishop Lori, uh, uh, you know, Church Militant, Bridgeport Diocese. Bishop Lurie, they had a pipeline, they called the 95 pipeline, 95 is the coastal highway here, and it runs from New York all the way up through Boston to Boston, where the Bridgeport Diocese, the Hartford Diocese, and other dioceses in New York were bringing young boys over from Brazil and Latin America that they groomed, that they were bringing in 
and and getting getting them into the seminary and there was this pipeline of abuse that was happening and that's a lot of the seminarians and this is for mothers to know you talk about well maybe you want your son to be a priest right you see what i mean safe place you know he, he has a passion for god well what they found was that a lot of these seminarians and, and you could find these videos uh uh, uh michael Voris talks about this in the seminaries what, what happens is the seminarians report to him and they're afraid to speak out they can tell their bishops but it gets buried because of the canon laws of secrecy called crimean solicitations where if you're say your young boy went to seminary and i'm not saying this to discourage parents to you know but they got to be aware like talk the more we talk about this within the family and then within the, the the religious aspect of the family the more this is how we bring light into the darkness do you follow me this is how we that's can it. clean it up no it's the and sunshine what, this is what michael Voris is about he's devoutly catholic him and his team and he's trying to bring the light into the bring the the light and, and purge the evil so so um so the seminarians report to him uh anonymously because if they were to report to civil authorities so here's the problem for for a lot of the religion and, and and i know you're mormon but if you study this the uh utah sex abuse statutes everybody's a mandated reporter who's a civil authority do you follow me police officer whatever even doctors and and uh, sexual abuse counselors but oftentimes like in this case and, and this is not to, to single out the mormon religion you'll find an exclusion for the church on that matter in the second there, there, there are states i read the ap article and the church's response to it there are states in america where the clergy is not required to report and i i understand that that's a potential scandal and i'm curious to see how it shakes out you know, there is a case bubbling up in Utah right now tied to some very prominent members of my faith. And mm -hmm. uh, there are claims of child trafficking and mm -hmm. the most heinous satanic ritual abuse. Yes. And one of the people who I just put a link in the chat to some investigative journalism I did recently around this case. It's on my blog. Um, one of the claims, and this was in the mainstream press, there's a man named Adam Herbitz, who's a journalist who works for Fox, and he's done some wonderful journalism around this. But uh, one of these couples basically captured a Native American child, went right out to the reservation, took this baby. They managed to get it done legally using some pretty sketchy extortion and bribery tactics. The baby's mother was in prison. The baby's father did not want to let it go, but he did. He was not able to stand up to social services and the infrastructure that was in place. They basically kidnapped this baby and have been raising it as their own. And these two people have been outed by several different victims as being satanic child abusers. And the idea of a little child from another nation another country native american baby being you know pulled into that situation with that family just makes me want to vomit because there's so many scandals around 
native children. Oh, we're, we're going to take them oh. to school. We're going to set up a school and teach them all they need to know to live in modern life. And it, it's basically a pedophile factory. And this is the attitude of the elites. They think the world's children belong to them. So they'll, they'll gin up a war and get everybody in refugee status. And when parents are on the run, it's much easier for them to grab the kids. And I would submit that this is what infrastructure of the United Nations, this, this tactic has been used for a long time to grab the world's children. And refugee camps are notorious for kids going missing and parents frantically trying to find their children. And they're just gone. And so this is another side, the schools, the refugee camps, the, someone boldly stepping onto a Native American reservation and saying, yeah, that, I'm going to take that one. I want that one. And it, it just galls me and guts me. So I, I participated in six weeks of investigative journalism around this specific case. And um, then I had to back away because it was just overwhelming my heart, my spirit. I couldn't do it anymore. And hopefully other, other journalists and indie journalists, I'm an indie journalist. Nobody pays me for my work outside of people who donate to my Substack. Um, and people did generously donate because I do have costs around posting some of the evidence on my Dropbox and on my blog. But, um, you know, we need a chorus of voices yelling and pointing and, and helping to expose, you know, the sunshine is the disinfectant. So bravo, William, on all of your efforts to whistleblow and report and help the victims. I, I get a sense that you're really concerned about victims. And that's where my biggest concern is as well. Well, Jenny, let me let me uh, tell me when you got to go. Uh, but I, I want I'd like to add, if not this show, we could pick up uh, if you're comfortable doing that, because, you know, Child Protective Services, there was a woman, Senator Schaefer, I think her name was, who was exposing all the issues with CPS. And part is of it she is, the one, is, is she the one who was killed? Yes. Yeah, I remember that case. Uh, they, she wrote a book and it was about to be published, from what I understand. And and they always have these suspicious, you know, the husband killed her, her allegedly, and then himself. Well, they are a happy couple, and they were. They, she wrote this book, and it was going to conform. It's always these bizarre, suspicious, you know, who hangs himself in the, you know, allegedly, you know, what I mean, kind of like Epstein supposedly hung himself in a jail cell, right, while yeah. both cameras are out. I mean, I mean, come on. So, but one thing, a couple of quick things. One. And I try and put this in context to help me understand, because growing up, of course, there's the idyllic belief, you know, that that the world is good, and you know, if we do good things and we're honest and you know, don't try and steal from people, you know, keep the Ten Commandments, yada yada, have a good, prosperous life, and et cetera, et cetera. And and what I've shockingly especially was driven home uh as a whistleblower was that indeed in fact the civil authorities are actually criminally liable according to crime statutes in state and federal for covering up these things the police departments the prosecutors the public defenders the judges which i call no 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 nudges 
you know, in black robes. I said they have robitis, black robes disease. The higher up you go, the, like you talked about the cover up regarding your own personal matters with um, your father because he's a prominent person in the community. This is what happens. The higher, the more power, the higher up it goes. Take the Epstein case, for example. We know, have no idea what really went on there or how broad that whole you know network was the more it's covered up and obviously the bigger it is the more civil authorities involved in the cover-up and so this is where i got into it thick with people here in civil authorities and what i call corrupticate the unconstitutional state are you still in are you still in connecticut I am still in Corrupticate, yes. This is where I grew up, but I'm back. I'm back. You know, here I am. And um and and uh basically I was outing all this. You know what I mean? On this level, the other thing talk about family. You, I heard you on another show yeah. outline the whole story of interfacing with the yeah. justice system. And as horrifying as that story was, I was not surprised. I honestly was not. Well, the thing I, I want to say is that there's so much I, I got every criminal case dropped. And what I found was there was always good cops who wouldn't make bad arrests and who were empathetic and who also, you know, gave me warning. And there was one who wrote a five-page exculpatory report doing a full cybercrime investigation. They prosecutors buried that through two prosecutions which is a Brady violations, which should get prosecutors fired, but never happens. The point I'm trying to make is that um, I have instruction to parents, right? If, you, if your kid ever gets arrested, you feel it's a setup, kind of like, you know, a whistleblower where they then it's a setup or they got entrapped and framed. If there were good cops in the middle and then bad cops, there's always good and bad, file a citizen's complaint on the bad cops and a commendation for the good cops that puts internal into a total tizzy do you follow me for yeah. the police department because they can't validate your commendations because that would then impeach and invalidate your complaints do you follow me so then they end up doing one of two things the first police department when i commended two good cops and i complained against one they wrote it up falsely that I complained against three and I have the written report. Okay. So I got that case dropped because I proved that the reports were impeachable. So it's all about leverage because if you've got, you know, this, the reason I mentioned this is uh, that, uh, you know, one third, believe oh my God, the numbers are staggering. Do, do, we have less than 4.5% of the world's population and we have t roughly depending on the year, around 25% of the world's incarcerated people with less than 5% of the world's incarceration. 30% of the incarcerated women are here in America. We, are, we have the largest penal colony in the world at roughly 2.3 million people in the United States. Our incarceration rate is, uh, best of my recollection, well, the stats kind of change, but somewhere around 700 per 100,000 people China is like 125 per 100,000 people. So, you know, uh, you know, when you think about that, that's staggering because we think of China as a red scare. 
you know, that they're abusing all these. I'm not saying they don't abuse people, but our incarceration rate is over fourfold of China and one third that greater than Russia. And these are statistics you can find online. Okay. Yeah, I know. You still there, William? I'm not hearing you. Distracted. So, so, so what, what I'm saying is, is the numbers are, are absolutely shocking. And someone like you and me who are whistleblower, next thing you know, nonsensical illegal arrests to cover up for the people in power, be their corrupt attorneys, the Catholic Church, the probate courts, which I fought, and the court-appointed CPA ended up in prison, so I was right about that too, for fraud and Ponzi scheme. But when I started suing the lawyers involved, I got arrested. It's always political it, it, and when you start fighting the uh, establishment. Well, and then, with that yeah. being said, I still feel that it is important for survivors and victims of crimes, especially sexual abuse, to still report it. And the reason oh, yeah. why is because they're so reluctant to face it anyway, or they'll tell it to a friend or a loved one or a clergy member. But none of those people have any power. I mean, they can help you, but it is incredibly power to call the police and report a crime. And this Utah case, it got to a certain level in 2014. And the judge decided to dismiss the case, but he did it without prejudice. And what that means is if any more evidence came forward, the case could be reopened and renewed. And that's right. what's happening right now with the Utah case. Other victims have come forward. The case is solidifying. Again, it involves incredibly powerful people, both right. inside right. the church and outside the church. And so I'm anxiously waiting to just see what law enforcement is prepared to do and then actually gets accomplished. I really am hopeful about this one, William, because when the police, it was the sheriff, Mike Smith, when he put out a, a notice, hey, we're reopening this case, we're looking for other evidence, other victims, they had over 120 people call into the hotline mm. to report something. They said there were 10 or 12 people who called in burst into tears and then hung up and said, you know, I can't do it. So there's that side of it too. People are just not ready to go public. And then there's probably thousands of other victims who either haven't heard about it or are so disabled, they can barely function or whatever. And I'm so hopeful that this will just blow the lid off of this particular case. And that maybe we can have a new standard and getting justice when there are satanic networks involved. They have been particularly able to shut down investigations, kill journalists, kill victims. And mm -hmm. they, they like to use accidents, car accidents. Oh, this person had an untimely death and shut them up. And then that terrorizes everybody else. All the other victims have seen fellow victims get killed and they just, you know, don't want to die. And so they, they shut up and, you know, I'm so hopeful that maybe this time we can nail some of these people, but um, time is winding down. Does anyone else want to chime in on the conversation? Hakeem looks like Hakeem's still here and Greg, I've never met you, 
But William, thanks so much for your contribution. Do you have anything else you want to share? Um, without opening up a huge, another aspect of this, let me just say, unfortunately, the politicians, like real quick, Letitia James opened her investigation to the Catholic Church uh, November 2020. We haven't heard anything. And I read a report on a, I forget it was Daily Wire, I think, I can't recall, that nothing is really happening because the legislature won't pass, they won't change the statute of limitations. It's only five years in reporting this sex crime in New York, and every state's different. In Connecticut, it's 20. But the problem is, like the UN report on the Vatican suggests there should be no statute of limitations on these crimes. And so part of the problem is the the, the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops spends a ton of money thwarting statutory reform. So what can happen is the police officers can get in a position or an investigation like Letitia James's office, where suddenly 95 or 98 percent of the uh, potential uh, uh, litigations, even uh, depending on the civil statute or criminal, have to be dropped because the legend the, the, this is simony by the church they are using their money to thwart any criminal or, or civil action through the legislature you what's, see what si what's simony i've never heard that term simony well simony was where remember back in the day though you'd hear uh, call it medieval times, whenever, where where uh, this is how the church made a lot of its money, where, you know, if you spend enough money, your sins could be uh, uh, negated somehow. Oh, and give, that's indulgences, right? Yeah, indulgences and simony, I, I'm trying to recall, I think it's when actually the church engages directly, which is what they do here. See, that's, this is one of the ways that so what can what's really frustrating as a victim is, you know, we get a lot of encouragement. Like you said, you, something's looking good. Like, oh, look at this, look at that. Well, in Pennsylvania, for example, they've had three grand jury investigations, 2005, 2011, 2018. That was the big one that Attorney Shapiro went public with, the AG of Pennsylvania. And he was even on Shep Smith Fox show and Shep was visibly shaken. I happened to see that episode or that broadcast. Well, do you know they still can't get the statute of limitations changed in such a way where such a, what happens? There's a lot of the victims end up nowhere with it due to statute of limitations that are not reformed because the, well, the last stat I read as of 2017, the Catholic Church had spent 10.6 million dollars thwarting statutory reform in New England states alone. Why New England states? Because when the Pennsylvania grand jury investigation broke, which, 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 which then the DOJ got involved, right? In 2018, the DOJ investigation, which got shut down December 2020 under the Trump uh, administration, William Barr, citing statutory uh, statute limitations issues. So all of us victims were all excited. The DOJ is going to bust this wide open. We were told by state's attorneys, especially the state's attorney out of Illinois, said, hey, I don't even care if you took a non-disclosure agreement. I don't care where you were. She cared what she was trying to say. It doesn't matter where you were abused in this country. I want you to contact me because we want to track down sex trafficking. For example, you know, the priest who abused me was ordained in Fresno. And then he served in New York. So yeah, who knows what they move them around a lot, don't they? This is what happens. And so now 
did, what, 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 I know we're out of time. Maybe we could talk more because what happens here is we get, as victims, we were like, you know, we go through this whole process, like you, you, you and I talked about, you know, of survival. Do you follow me? And then the the coping mechanisms that the child mind uses, the disassociation, to forget, because that's the only way you can survive in that environment, because you're not out of the environment. You're still in it. Do you follow me? Well, and then I have a I have a brother who's an attorney, and this is one of the things my siblings threw in my face. Well, if these things really happened, if Dad really did these things. Why don't you sue him? Why don't you why don't you report it? Why don't you make a case? And it's like, well, all I have are my memories from right. 40 years ago. And and those memories are kind of fuzzy sometimes. Yep. So without corroborating evidence from another victim, I got nothing. So what would I say? You know, I think this happened. I'm almost sure this happened. It appears that this happened. And in my heart of hearts, I know it happened. But I have nothing. And so these cases where there's there is repressed memory are very difficult to prosecute. And so it's what it's why it's so powerful when you have a group of people like happened with the Nixium case with um, what's that guy's name? Can't think of it. Keith Ranieri, you know, getting away with branding women and trafficking women and mm. sexually assaulting women with this fake company that's basically just a human trafficking network. You have all these women stand up together. Well, what do you know? We've got this guy put away forever. And that was a powerful person to, to, to be brought to justice. You know, he was really wrecking havoc with many people's lives, but it worked. And so until I can get more corroborating victims together to solidify the case, and I, you know, my dad's dead. It's not like you can go prosecute him, but it, at least we can get the word out to other victims because I think there were probably many victims of my father, that they can have some healing. Oh my gosh, yes, this happened to me. And it happened in a situation with that man, his own daughter, you know, it's all for me, it's all about the healing and reconciliation. Because once you do that, and I think I'm pretty close to being finished with my own healing and reconciliation, it always kind of haunt me, I think, but I'm able to function. I'm able to think clearly. I'm not suicidal anymore. You know, okay. I'm, I'm getting better for me. It's at this point, it's all about the healing and helping other people live a happier life. Okay. You can't have a perfect life. Maybe you can have a happier life than what's already happened. And this hellscape known as mortality on earth, you know, and maybe we can make things better for the kids. That, that to me is what it's all about. How can we make things safer and better for these generations coming up who we owe so we owe them everything to try and make a better world for them. How can we do that? We have to identify the problem first. So William, you are my brother, you are my friend. I appreciate all of your insights, all of your words. Uh, I will be here every day. I'm gonna do four shows next week because I'm taking Labor Day off. But after next week, I plan to be here every day talking about how we can make things better for families, how we can make things better for the babies. And the little children in our midst, that's what my show and my all of my work is dedicated to. My own grandchildren and all the world's children. How can we make things better for them? And to that end, you know, that's what this show's about. So I so appreciate what you've shared. Do you have anything else before we cut it off for today? 
Uh, well, no, I look forward to speaking um, with you regularly because there's so many layers to this and even the layers of that you've shared and I've shared about, it breaks my heart that they've authorized these, I don't know what they call them. I, I know we could talk openly on calling, so let's just call them this, these, these death shots for kids and, and for anybody. And 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 at some point, I know I, that may be some because of course involves a family. Do you follow me? And I don't. Absolutely. I don't think. Yeah. Absolutely, we will talk about that, and we will talk about that openly. I plan to have quite a few shows talking about medical freedom. I'm not just talking mm -hmm. about health freedom and educational freedom. One of the things on on my show page is this show is dedicated to parents being able to say no to certain mm -hmm. things even if they're being bullied and steamrolled and forced and compelled. No, my child is not getting that shot. I don't care what you say. That, that's one of the main goals of this show. So yes, we will revisit that topic another day. And the beauty of Colin, we can, we can say whatever we want. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Amen. And it's, I'm an independent journalist and I am not controlled by anyone. If you want to support my work, go buy one of my books. I put the links in the show page on Colin. Go become a doTERRA distributor. Buy some oils. I get a little cut of whatever oils you buy. These are ways that you can support the show. I'm not doing this for the money, but if you want to support me, you can go do those things, and I'll get a little bit from book sales. I always chuckle whenever I do my taxes to see how much money I make from Amazon. Sometimes it's 100 bucks. Sometimes it's 1000 but I, I don't think I've ever made more than like $1,200 per year for book sales, but I can call myself a published author, self-published, and the books I have written were written from my heart, and, uh, and most of them were written while I was in the thick of it with my mothering, and so I think the voices from parents who are not just in the theory realm or they're remembering back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I wrote these books in the midst of the storm of mothering my own children and trying to heal from all of this ritual abuse. And so most of my books are dedicated to, again, helping survivors, spreading the good word about home birth and homeschool, and then reconciling this Babylonian hellscape with mm -hmm. what's been prophesied is going to come is, is called a, a Zion lifestyle. We are literally at the intersection of Babylon and Zion. And we've been told that Zion is going to come after this great, Babylonian fall, I always think of Lord of the Rings and the destruction of the ring and Sauron going down and the mountain exploding. I always think of that when um, I think of Babylon falling because in the scriptures it says it's going to happen in one day. It's going to happen in one hour. And I think mm -hmm. we're really close to that happening where it just all comes tumbling down. And then comes Zion. And I'm so excited about Zion. So... Thank you again, William. Wonderful show. I appreciate so much your participation because it makes it easier for me as the host to have an interaction than to just monologue it, which I'm happy to monologue it. If you look at my first few shows I created on this page, one of them tells my own satanic ritual abuse story, which I really oh, don't man. like to talk about because it's upsetting, but I still felt like it was important for me to just get it on the record. Here's my story. There it is if you want to go revisit it. But, um, you know, it helps so much to even just have one person step up and help move the conversation along. So thank you. Hey, Jenny, it's, uh, God bless your sister. And I, 
I feel blessed that um, just somehow the Lord brought us together where we can then share on an interpersonal level like this. Yeah, you there's know, no accidents. There are absolutely no accidents. And I, I appreciate that that happened and we can meet here on Colin and, you know, come to a, a meeting of the minds, as they say. I'm going to end the show with my little jingle. Thank you again for all who showed up. I will be back on Tuesday, 9.55 with another episode of The Jenny Hatch Show.